This is the Studio Alchemy Podcast, episode 90, an interview with Lori Eve Deschar. Our quote of the day was said by Lori Eve Deschar. She said, Healing is a group activity. We need each other to see ourselves clearly, to reflect the changes we make, and to support us in keeping on course even when difficulties and challenges arise, the love, caring, and faith of our tribe is more potent medicine for the healing of our souls than any supplement or pharmaceutical. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives using visualization, manifestation, art making, and new age self-help techniques. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another. And we all do this every day. Every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we explore ways we can change both our physical and spiritual selves for the better. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. My name is Addie Hirschton. I am an artist. I sign my paintings with the name Vita. I teach online creativity classes and have written a few books, including The Alchemy of Painting, Developing Your Style and Purpose, and my new book that was recorded for Audible, Start Selling Your Art, A Guide to Starting a Professional Art Business. When this podcast first started, it was to share just stories about artists and was called The Alchemy of Art Podcast. Now we are the Studio Alchemy Podcast, and I've expanded our topics of discussion to include ways that everyone can harness their creative energy. To find out more about my projects and classes and sign up for my art newsletter, I invite you to go to my website, studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to share with you my interview with Lori Eve Deschar. I found out about her from reading a book. Uh, she's written a couple books, but this one is called The Alchemy of Inner Work, A Guide for Turning Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being. And so much of this book really resonated with me. I underlined half the book and put lots of stars and notes where things just really helped me to process the health problems that I had a few years ago. So this is uh, from the back of the book. It tells about Lori Eve. Lori Eve Deschar holds a master's degree in acupuncture from the traditional acupuncture institute and training in archetypal psychology, gestalt, and focusing oriented psychotherapy. With her husband, Benjamin Fox, she co-founded A New Possibility, a global healing and learning community dedicated to the belief that inner work is a necessary prerequisite for any lasting outer change. Visit Lori and Benjamin at www.anewpossibility.com, and I will have that link in the show notes. And now for our interview with Lori Eve. Laurie Eve Deschar, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for inviting me, Addie. I'm looking forward to the conversation with another alchemist. <laughs> yes, yes, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I have to say that I 
have read your book. I got it at the bookstore, I don't know, three or four months ago and have read it through twice and have underlined lots of things. And it really resonated with me um, for a number of reasons. So thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with me about it. I'm pleased as punch to talk to you today. So my first question for you, Lori Eve, is what is the story of how you became an acupuncturist? And, you know, from everything in your book, you combine the, the archetypal psychology and psychotherapy with your practice, you know, it's because it's not the, just the physical body that you're treating when you have a session with someone, it's the whole body, you know, so, and which is wonderful. And how did that combination come together over time for you well and I've been in practice now and it's always kind of amazing for me to to, to really reckon with the 40 years of doing this work but it has been and the the way the threads of depth psychology of alchemy of Chinese medicine wove together obviously wasn't an overnight thing. But mm -hmm. I guess to go back to the beginning, as you say, how did I actually even um, move into Chinese medicine and acupuncture? That, that's such a, it's not a simple question, really. I think, <laughs> I mean, truthfully, it's, you know, in from a Chinese perspective, they believe that everything person has what they call a Tao. And most people are familiar now in the, with the word Tao as the way or the way of the cosmos, T-A-O, it's an ancient Chinese word. But our, the Tao is both the cosmic kind of purposefulness or directionality of the universe that's way beyond anything we can know, but each of us also has a Tao, a kind mm -hmm. of inner impulse or intelligy that, that's kind of almost part of the seed of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I really honestly believe that, that becoming an acupuncturist, a healer, and what I call an alchemical healer, someone who works at the soul level, was my Tao from the beginning. And it was more like me just, rather than me becoming it, it was rather like me allowing it to become me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I wouldn't, it was before that. And I do like to preface that by saying that I spent most of my 20s in a state of kind of cooking, kicking and screaming, writing poetry and gardening. And the kicking and screaming was about, we have to be able to do this differently. Like human mm -hmm. beings, there has to be a different way for us to be human. Mm -hmm. Relationship to this amazing, miraculous planet that we've been endowed with, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was politically active. I was very engaged in feminist spirituality. I was marching and leaving baskets of flowers at the Pentagon. You could still do that, you know, in the <laughs> late 70s. Like a bunch of women and I, we made these baskets and poetry broadsides. And we actually walked up the steps of the Pentagon and said, Whoa. nuclear disarmament, you know, honoring <laughs> the goddess. And we left baskets of flowers. 
Wow. Well, you could never do that now, but that's a true story. Wow. <laughs> All that. And then finally, um, you know, towards my later 20s, I, I got very tired of fighting so hard and it was actually taking a toll on my health. And that was how I had my first acupuncture treatment. And um, the experience when the needles, and I write about this in my first book, Five Spirits, which is, you know, more acupuncture oriented than the alchemy of inner work, but Mm -hmm. it's also, Five Spirits is also available to non-acupuncturists. It's about the kind of psychology of Chinese medicine. But I write a bit about it. This the first moment the needle went into the point in the instep of my foot. I felt, you know, what people talk about, like chi moving, some kind of movement through my entire body and a kind of mm. deep, deep sense of, I wouldn't even call it relaxation. It was really like, okay, I'm coming back into myself. Hmm. And I would say that's how it started. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that that is truly, there's so many things that a needle can do when, you know, once you learn how to move chi with the needle, how to move the life force, the soul forces. But one, I think one of the, the greatest gifts is that it supports people in coming back to who they really are. It's like that mm-hmm. sense of, okay, I'm home again. I'm mm-hmm. home in this body. I'm yeah. home in myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that just made me think of another question. We'll see if we have time for it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I bought your book because the title, you know, just the title jumped out at me, The Alchemy of Inner Work, A Guide for turning illness and suffering into true health and well-being um, because it was hinting at that, that you would discuss ways to transform illness into health. And in the past few years, I'd suffered from a long mysterious illness where I had joint pain, big swelling in my hands, big bumps on my hands. Um, and then it took over a year, many, many doctor visits to discover that that I had a combination of rheumatoid arthritis and a thyroid medication that I had a rare reaction to that most people don't. Um, so thankfully I'm doing like 95% better now. I'm so much better. Um, but that, you know, reading your book after going through all that, it gave me lots of aha moments. Oh, that makes sense. This is, you know, because so much of what I went through, I noticed that if I was stressed, if I was psychologically stressed um, and that psychological stress could be from other things going in my life or the illness itself causing stress, both. Um, but the more stressed I was, the worse it was. Yes. And, and because <clears throat> our minds are connected to our body. And um, so, so much of what you said resonated with me. What are your thoughts on psychological stress and healing? So the intertwining of psycho-emotional stress and um, how we actually feel in our bodies is really central to the, to the work I do and how I teach practitioners to work in a more holistic way. 
you know, again, from a Chinese perspective, our emotional body and our even our spiritual body, they aren't disconnected from our physicality. Mm-hmm. And in order to, especially with the kind of complex array of symptoms like you had, in order to reverse it, I always say it's not just linear. Like there wasn't one thing, you know, there was the medication that you didn't, didn't agree with your system. There was a kind of constitutional vulnerability and there was undoubtedly some other stresses. So the way I look at a symptom is not like, oh, it's a dot on a line. This mm-hmm. caused this. It's much more multidimensional. You can even think, I think of that old movie, you know, The Perfect Storm. It's like okay. <laughs> multiple vectors come together and the body can no longer hold its homeostasis. You know, the body can no longer because the body is gonna clear a symptom if it can. So it takes these multiple vectors coming together, then a symptom emerges. But for that same reason, I don't believe that there's ever just one cure. Mm -hmm. There's a multiple array of shifts and changes that will open up the body's resources so that it can begin to heal itself. And that's why often people will have a symptom and they're doing a lot of different things, but then it'll be say adding in a meditation practice in addition to everything else or doing, I mean, I had a patient who did, um, there were, she was in a very big depression and she was doing many different things. And then she did a teepee ritual and mm-hmm. it cleared. So there, there's a mystery actually to the healing process mm-hmm. that goes beyond our more Western idea. Of, okay, take this medicine and you'll be better. Right, yeah. And I think what we're trying to get at in the book, and I think we're all feeling this as the kind of intensity of our time. And I like to think of it as not so much that things are falling apart and we're in crisis, but rather that we are in these turbulent waters of transformation Hmm. as species and even the earth herself. So as we're in those turbulent waters, you know, the, the title of the book, the subtitle, Transforming Illness and Suffering into True Health and Well-Being, in a certain sense, you know, can we be truly healthy? Can we feel true well-being when our home, our planet is going through so much degradation and stress, Mm -hmm. you know, all other beings on the planet. So then we come back to, I mean, when Benjamin and I began to vision this book, it's almost more like, how do we do this skillfully? How do we Mm -hmm. heal in skillful ways that will heal ourselves, but also extend that healing out, you know, you do it through your art into our communities, you know, bit by bit into everyone we touch, because clearly at this point, true health and well-being isn't going to come from some institution or government or even the AMA. It's going to come 
from inner work, each person's mm-hmm. willingness to actually do their own inner healing and then extend that out into, uh, I, I call it a rhizomatic network of healing <laughs> energies. <laughs> so that's what everyone, you know, in our community, and we do have mm-hmm. a community that people can join. It's called a new mm-hmm. And I, as you, I know you have a, a community and these, I feel like these communities are where a lot's happening. I'm part of mm-hmm. multiple really vital communities where people are saying, how can we do this differently? Mm-hmm. How can we do this in ways that can reverse you know, the damage that we're doing not to ourselves, but, you know, through the stress, as you say, and to the earth. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The symptom can be a sign. Signpost. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful, Addie. And I would say that is that, that the symptom is the way that the wisdom of the body is trying even though it may seem misguided, the body's trying to communicate with us, asking us to care. Yeah. So yes, trans- and that's alchemy. When we shift the symptom as a problem that I just want to get rid of, a piece of lead that I, you know, that I'm just sick of this and I will do anything just to eradicate it. If I shift that to, okay, yes, I would like this symptom to change, but what is, what is the inner gold or message or invitation mm-hmm. that my body is also sending me with this mm-hmm. symptom? That's, that's one of the key alchemical ideas, why we call it the alchemy of inner work. It's like yes. changing that, that, changing our story, changing our mindset, changing our approach changes everything. There's a quote from an ancient alchemical text, a Chinese text called The Secret of the Golden Flower. And they say, mm-hmm. once we turn the light, the light of our awareness around, once we begin to use that awareness to, to really care about ourselves, to find practice that support us, they say everything in the world is also turned around. Mm-hmm. Yes, as above, so below, I'm reminded of. Yeah. So my my next question for you is about the old alchemical texts. You know, they can be difficult to symbolically understand um, when you go through some of those old texts and, and images that I just love. Um, and I loved your explanation specifically of the prima materia, the first matter. For our listeners, can you explain the prima materia and how it can be used for healing? Great question. So in alchemical language, and this was, this is the European tradition, but Mm -hmm. all the alchemical traditions, whether it's Chinese, you know, yoga, Vedic, that's an alchemical tradition. There's European alchemy it's all about transforming what is stuck or what we could say what is dense and opaque into something that shines something that is illuminated so in yoga for example we're, we're transforming maybe aches and pains or just 
contractions or um, you know our quote unquote ordinary body into a body that is enlivened with you know in yoga they say feeling the the vata feeling the movement through the chakras that's alchemy and in Chinese mm -hmm. medicine we're looking at you know moving chi through places in the body that that may become stuck again illuminating or enlivening that's alchemy that's the idea of transforming lead something heavy dense opaque into gold something shining something you know with light within it okay so the prima materia is a basic alchemical concept and it means whatever piece of lead I'm working with. So your symptom, for example, you know, this mysterious sort of unknown um, swelling of your joints, you know, all of that can be very, very scary um, mm -hmm. when we get a symptom like that. Or, you know, when I went through a very, very difficult divorce, you know, when my daughter was six years old, it was, I really didn't know if I was going to get through it. And yet, you know, through a lot of help and actually beginning to learn about alchemical practices and meditation, young me in depth psychotherapy, working with my dreams, this difficult passage became a doorway. And I, that was when I first began writing Five Spirits, um, writing about, again, how do we transform these difficult, seemingly, you know, impossible. Sometimes people feel I'm not going to survive this. I mean, I don't know how you mm -hmm. felt with your bout, mm -hmm. but certainly there were times when I felt like I don't know if I will survive this. Yeah. That's prima materia. <laughs> That's and, you know, in a certain way, as a planet, we're facing that now. Like, we don't know we'll, if we will survive this or how we will survive this. But from an alchemical perspective, then it's time. Turn your awareness inside. Get the tools. And that's what we try to do in the alchemy of inner work. It's a practical guide. You know, mm -hmm. little things that seem... How can taking a pause before I speak and we give the pause practice with steps, that, how can that possibly change my life? And yet we find that these simple practices have profound effects. Mm -hmm. So again, the prima materia is that very thing that you say, oh, you know, it's my sugar addiction. It's, it's usually pretty mundane. It's like, it's, I can't get along with my mother-in-law. It's, I have these noisy neighbors. It's, I have this terrible pain in my foot that keeps me from running. But each of those symptoms, as you say, from an alchemical perspective is actually an invitation towards a different kind of healing, towards a different kind of wholeness or health. Mm. Yes, wonderful. My next question for you is this. In your book, you describe a moment when you were very, very young and your parents lifted you up into the air, each holding one of your hands, which by the way, I did this with a kid and a friend of mine yesterday. Uh, and you felt whole and divinely happy in that moment of lift. You know, 
And then you shared one of my favorite lines in the book. You said, each one of us arrives in this world reflecting the integrity, beauty, and perfection of our source. And I agree that at our center, we are, we are whole and complete and positive, a positive energetic force. How do you suggest we deal with moments of despair when we feel disjointed, even though we're whole? <laughs> For right. me, that's it's a call. It's a kind of a faith that I have to come back to on occasion. Yeah, faith is a really important kind of idea, idea, beings, place, you know, of cultivating faith and how we do that. And I, I think one of the ways for me is being with the natural world. You know, that's such a part of the entire world of Chinese medicine is and depth psychology is that we're rooted in these natural cycles and rhythms and that they're part of us. So for me, that's one place I find faith. But another way, just an answer to your question, you know, <clears throat> I, I find, and believe me, I lose that place of faith just as, I mean, I do. And and I'll and even just yesterday, my husband and I are planning to do a renovation on one of our houses because our kids, my daughter, her husband and her, my granddaughter are considering moving up and it's going to take a lot of reconfiguring of our property. And all of a sudden, I just started having a meltdown because there's a tree <laughs> that I love that might have to come down. And there's, oh, no. you know, in my office, it's like my sanctuary. I might have to change. And literally, I mean, and again, these are in a way very privileged problems, but they were, you know, they, they affected me. And I literally <laughs> had a meltdown. I was like, I don't know. And we've got a barbecue <laughs> and the garden and, the, the, and how am I getting to work? At the time? And my husband looked at me, Benjamin, and he said, Laura, who's freaking out here? You know, who is this? This isn't like the woman who gets up and talks to people and acts like she, you know, and people look at her and think, oh, she's the, who is who is this person who's having a meltdown? And I realized that it was of that young part of me that had, you know, that that there was a young part of me that both holds all of that memory of preciousness, but also lost it and you know lost it because of events in my family that my father got ill so i i went back to her mm. like once i could see her again and of course he helped me he was like who is this that's so upset here and can you take care mm. of her and can you care about her yeah totally shifted because yeah. you know, like we do have that wholeness in us there is an intrinsic place of of serenity of divinity in each of us that is always there but again like you said we lose sight of it you know so somehow for me really being able to say what part is is so upset and how can I care about that part of myself you know mm. the idea that we're 
we're like, we're not one person, we're like a bus and there's lots of people on the bus, right? <laughs> so by being able to identify what, who on the bus is really, really upset and caring for them, I think we can come back to that place. And, you know, that place of feeling like, oh, I'm back to a certain kind of wholeness and stability here. Mm. And, and just even having those memories, remembering in an embodied way, those places where we felt that like the memory of my parents, being with my parents in the garden or a place that's safe for us. So mm. some of those tools really, really can make a difference. <laughs> so I'm writing a book on symbols and you weave so many beautiful symbols and stories into the book. And I love how you relate the personal stories um, to everything that you're talking about, because it made it very accessible. But um, you, know, you have one whole chapter on archetypes. What's your favorite symbol and why? Yeah. If you could name a favorite. I know well, I'm a, a fellow symbol lover and I'm so excited about your book, Addie. And I hope that you will keep us connected, you know, keep us posted on what you're doing and and even, you know, get let our community know. So um, we'll stay in touch because I'm excited oh, about what you're up to. Um, yeah. but, but as far as symbols, they're a big part of my work. Um, okay. They're powerful. They they carry chi energy, as you know, and I would say my favorite symbol that comes to me right now is the Eurobarus, which is okay. many people may have seen it but not know what it is. It's a, a very universal symbol of the round circle snake eating its own tail. Okay. And it's, yeah. a, and it's an alchemical symbol, but it shows up in Chinese art, Indian art, um, European, uh, medieval, even on churches, you'll see it in Ireland. It's, it's all over. It's a universal symbol. And it actually symbolizes how we can say simply wholeness, you know, the snake eating its own tail. But how I'm understanding it now is that lately it's really become clear to me that the, the world I see out there that I think is real is also being created by me at every moment because it's through my own sense organs that the chaos of the world, you know, the infinite intertwining of forms becomes a story, becomes, it takes form, it takes, and so, I am actually through my senses creating the world that is also creating me. And for me right now, that's the Eurobarus that I'm working with, this sense of how the world, I am emerging from the world and then the world is emerging from me. And I think that that is one of the, the deep meanings of that symbol. Yeah. Yes, yes, I love that symbol too. And it's funny because you pronounce it differently than I do, but I think maybe now that I think about it, I've only ever read it. So I've, I've pronounced it in my own mind as Ouroboros. I think that that's another pronunciation. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we're talking about the same circle. 
Yes. The snake eating its tail. Yes. Eating its tail. Yes. Life creating itself, devouring itself. Even, um, you know, the yin yang symbol in a way is, is related to that because the yang emerges from the yin and then dissolves into it. And then the yin Mm. emerges from the yang and dissolves into it. Yeah. So that's, I think one of my big meditations these days, especially I would say as I'm entering my, the decade of my seventies and now have a three-year-old granddaughter and getting to see how life circles and circles and circles. Yes. Yeah. There's a constant movement. Yes. Wonderful. Well, so you've answered all of my questions, Lori Eve. Thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Oh, I think the only, um, I mean, these have been really, really uh, interesting questions, things that I think about a lot and and love to talk about. I would say that the, um, the only thing I would like to add is that as we move through these times that that some days seem like so, so painful and difficult, that we do find communities, you know, find places like don't, we, none of us can do this alone. So even Addie, that you reached out to me and that now we're connected, I feel like this is really what our souls need. And it's also what the earth is asking of us, as I said, in these rhizomatic connections. So if mm-hmm. anyone is touched by the book or by our conversation, um, we'd be delighted to have them come in to visit our community, which is um, a new possibility.com and mm-hmm. see more about what we're up to. So in closing, uh, sadly, the end of my interview with Lori Eve got chopped off. So sorry for the, if there's an awkward ending there. Um, Our Zoom call was suddenly disconnected for no reason, the way sometimes happens, but I'm happy that the the recording itself was intact. And uh, so to sign off, you know, thank you so much, Lori Eve Deshar for coming on the show. It was, you know, I know you'll be listening to this part after the fact, but it was so wonderful to chat with you. And it really, you know, it's one of the many benefits of having a podcast like this that I, when I read something like your work that really resonates with me, it, having the podcast is a wonderful excuse to get to know you and talk to you personally. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I greatly appreciate it. And this concludes the Studio Alchemy podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.